Good evening. Good evening and welcome to our evening service here at Charlotte Chapel. Uh, my name is Callum. I'm one of the ministry apprentices here halfway through uh, the course at this church. Appre um, applications are now open for the ministry apprenticeship intake after the summer. If you would like to know more about the ministry apprenticeship or the other training schemes, pastor and training that we have here at the church, I'd be happy to chat with you after the service to find out more about uh, how you can serve God and grow in your gifts for him. A great way to think about the question that you might pose yourself. How can I, as the person God has made me, with the gifts God has given me, best serve him with the gospel in this world? Uh, just one notice for us uh, this evening is to say uh, thank you for your prayers for the Hope Explored course that has been running these last three Sunday mornings. That concluded this morning. And the weekly prayer meeting before the morning service will take place back in the Anderson room at half past nine on Sunday mornings. Also, just like to add that uh, Tom Mayo's funeral, uh, who was a member here at this church, will be tomorrow. Details for that will be sent out via church suite. So just be noting that. Well, we are here to praise the reigning King Jesus. This king arrived not as people were expecting him, as we read in Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from the sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Well, we'll begin our service this evening with two songs which help us to look towards this unique reigning king and what he has accomplished on the cross. We'll start with Behold Our God and a new song that we were introduced to first last week. It was finished upon that cross. Please stand as we sing.
read from God's word in a moment, but first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to the, the sun and the moon, which you created on the fourth day as, as signs, as you created them to be, to give light to this world that you had already done so in day one, to rule over the day and the night as you had already done on day one to be signs for us of your rule and reign over time and over days. And Lord, we look to our fellow human formed from the earth and more than signs, but your very image, the image of God to fill the earth as you do in generosity and to rule the earth as you do so in loving leadership. We are to be the very image of your rule and reign over the land, seas, and skies. But we have not extended your rule and reign as you designed. We have not trusted your distinction of good and evil and craved for ourselves independent rule we crave after man-made images idols and worship them instead money power sexual pleasure titles homes children intelligence marriages retirement all good things, but destructive when put before you. Without your help, we are enslaved to sin. Lord, together we announce we have sinned against the Lord. But thank you for sending King Jesus, the unblemished image bearer, a human without sin, and also God to die in our place. Thank you that he is the king we need and his sacrificial work was finished on that cross. Help us to trust in him for his sacrifice for bringing us peace and trust in him as king over our lives as we live as we ought to in his kingdom. His rule extends from, the, from sea to sea, the ends of the earth. Thank you for the blood of your covenant, which frees those who submit to you fully. From enslavery to despair, we are now enslaved to true hope. Lord, we pray ahead for the day when we will not only see your reign of Jesus through faith, but with our very eyes, when all other earthly and spiritual rulers will fall finally and fully, when all evil will be condemned by eternal judgment under his rule. 
when heaven and earth will be made new for all your faithful blood-washed servants to enjoy life forever under King Jesus. Lord, bless this service tonight. May it be honorable in your eyes. We pray for your servant Ashley as he unpacks God's word for us. May he not be held back by fear. May he faithfully recount all that you intend to teach us through 1 Samuel tonight. Thank you for this position you appointed him as an elder of this church. May he carry out his duties in this, of, in this office with reverent fear for your name. Would you help all of us submit to your rule, the rule of Holy Scripture? May we leave here knowing what it says and doing what it says. May that be our prayer every day this week. Know what it says and do as it says. In the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue tonight in our series through the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to be reading from it now. Uh, afterwards, Ashley Gardner, one of our pastors in training, will be teaching us from chapters 9 and 10. Uh, but before that, we're going to read the passage together. And two of our members, Ben and Pam, are going to read for us 1 Samuel chapter 9. So the reading tonight is from 1 Samuel chapter 9 to um, chapter 10, verse 16. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But she said to him, behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps you can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? <clears throat> the servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. 
Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up to the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. For today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys, that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? Saul answered, I am, not, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept to set before you, eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. 
when you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gebeth Elam, where there is a garrison of the Philistines, and there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these things came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, and who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. We're going to sing again. Uh, all we can do is bow at the feet of King Jesus, which is why we're going to sing our next song, King of Kings. Please stand with me.
Good evening. Uh, let me add my welcome. Uh, my name is Ashley, and uh, I have the joy of serving as uh, one of the pastors in training and an elder here, as Callum mentioned. And uh, I've got the joy and the privilege of getting to preach God's inerrant, perfect, and holy word this evening. So um, join me in prayer as I pray for my help to preach and our help to listen. Father, we um, have just sung about uh, the royal robes that we don't deserve to wear, that we stand in because of what Christ has done and our hearts proclaim your majesty. You are king. You are gloriously beautiful and we love you and we praise you and we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in creation and in your word. And Lord, uh, I pray that you would help me preach your word with clarity and faithfulness and that you would give um, us as a congregation hearts ready to soak in what it is that you're teaching us uh, and lives that are ready to submit and obey to your good and perfect will and may all that we do in our lives and in this church be honoring and glorifying to King Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, I want to tell you about a, a true story uh, about a girl called Emily. Um, she had studied, um, chosen a subject like many do for university and she'd studied at this particularly um, well-to-do university and she'd completed a degree but she just didn't want to continue with her chosen subject. Maybe a few of you can relate to that. So she went on to do something different. She moved into teacher training and she ended up training at a particularly prestigious university which she thought was great. But actually, though she completed the course, um, she actually recognized that the teaching profession is pretty tough. And she thought, if the training's this tough, there's no way that I can actually cope with the job itself. And so she ended up dropping out of that afterwards. And so she ended up in some kind of obscure office job that was really dull, quite boring, not very challenging for her. And she was just wondering what on earth she was doing. None of these things were part of her own plan for her life. They just seemed a bit haphazard. Um, I wonder uh, how Emily's story might pan out or how you might think it might pan out. Well, hang around to the end of the service and you'll find out. Um, the passage that was read to us, 1 Samuel uh, 9 and going into 10, uh, kind of chimes into the Emily's story. Uh, and it's about uh, a God who works through the seeming mundane and haphazard situations in our lives to bring about his great purposes. So let's jump into our passage. But um, just a, a bit of context, if maybe you're coming uh, to the church for the first time, or maybe you're just jumping back into the series in 1 Samuel. We um, had noted last week that this section of, of 1 Samuel that we're in now is a bit like a crossing of the Rubicon. We're at a, a significant juncture in God's unfolding purposes for his people. We're moving from um, a tribal federation of, uh, of people, the nation of Israel are, to a, a, a monarchic kingdom. And James helpfully took us through the section last week where Israel uh, sinfully cried out for a king. They didn't want Yahweh, the one true God, who had proven himself time and time again to be the king who would save, but they wanted a king to suit their own sinful desires. And it's at this point now that we enter into the section that was read to us. And I'm going to um, unpack this under two headings. Firstly, on trust that God is sovereignly advancing his kingdom. Trust that God is sovereignly advancing his kingdom. 
So in our narrative, we're introduced to a, a slightly obscure new character and clan, and they're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, but they're clearly significant. And the keen reader and listener will notice that we're introduced to Kish in the same way that we're introduced to Samuel's father, Elkanah, in chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man. And so if the significance of Elkanah is anything to go by, we're expecting some fireworks from this new character. But the narrative is not actually about Kish. It's about his tall, handsome son, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. He was a head taller than anywhere, anyone else. So this is the kind of guy that would be brought on to Love Island. Uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. He's tall, dark, handsome. He's the politician that would get votes. He'd get the swipes on Tinder. And it's interesting that Scripture actually makes quite a point about describing uh, how Saul looks. And in later sermons, we'll see the significance of that. Needless to say, he's easy on the eye. However, the story actually transitions into some quite ordinary events, some lost donkeys. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of donkeys, I think of Mablethorpe Beach or Blackpool. They're a bit scruffy. They're good for a 50p ride on the beach, but that's about all. But in the ancient Near East, donkeys are not insignificant. And so this would have been a valuable asset would have been equivalent to maybe a farmer losing one of his tractors or several months' wages. And so naturally, Kish sends out his son and a servant to try and find this valuable load. And having searched high and low for days, we're actually introduced to the first words, the first recorded speech of Saul. And he says this, Come, let us go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. That's verse 5. Now, what are we to think of this as a first impression? Well, attitudes towards fathers in 1 Samuel have been less than impressive. Hophni and Phinehas with Eli, or even Joel and Abijah, Samuel's children. And Saul actually shows concern for his father's welfare. And yet, seeing that this task is almost impossible, he's ready to turn back. But then all of a sudden, the servant realizes where they are. Look at verses 5 and 6. Ah, yes, Zuf, of course. This is the territory of the man of God. Clearly, his reputation has preceded him because he says he is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Once again, Saul responds in a way that's unlike any of the characters, really, that we've met in 1 Samuel so far. He says, if we go, what can we give the man? So they're giftless. Right? There's no hole in the wall at Zuff Bank Limited. There's no contactless payments in the ancient Near East. And so to turn up asking for a gift or for some advice or for some direction from the prophet in the ancient Near East would have brought great shame upon the Kish clan. And so as it happens, the servant finds the exact amount of change needed to honor this man of God in verse 8. Look, he says, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us the way to take. Great. Saul says, let's go. And so they meet these women at the well, uh, let the reader note that in the unfolding of God's plans and purposes, meeting of women at wells is significant, uh, not to mention Moses, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but the timing of this accidental encounter with the women couldn't have been more perfect. Look at what they say, verses 12 and 13. The women say, quick, he's ahead of you, hurry now, he's just come, go up now. So not only have they arrived just in time for the sacrificial celebration, 
But as they head into the town, who but crosses their path? The seer, Samuel. There was Samuel coming towards them, verse 14. And so the question is, what are we to think of these circumstances? You know, in a way, they're, they're ordinary, they're mundane. The events just seem to happen upon Saul. You know, lost sheep, a found coin, right time, right place. And were it not for verses 15 to 17, we might just see these circumstances as just that, coincidental, happenstance, pretty ordinary. But verses 15 to 17 smash into the narrative and show us what's really going on. Just look with me at verses 15. Now, the day before Saul came, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed, or literally he had uncovered Samuel's ear and said this to Samuel, about this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Ah, yes. Okay, now I see. So the, the events aren't actually random at all, the lost donkeys, the lost coin. Because the day before, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, I will send you a man. Saul is sent. Saul doesn't stumble across Samuel, although from his perspective he does. He's sent. And so they're not unfortunate events or haphazard meetings, but they're orchestrated purposes of the sovereign of the universe. And so whether it's loose livestock or loose change, God is in control. That's what this text is telling us. And were it not for God's revelation, for his revealed word, we would be just as much in the dark as Saul. But God's word shines as a light onto these ordinary-looking circumstances and pulls back the curtain of life's seemingly pointless and innocuous events to reveal the master chess player at work. And what is it that God's doing here? Well, he tells us, anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. So he's orchestrated these events to bring about his anointed. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's Meshach. It's where we get the word Messiah from. Or if you wanted to translate that into Greek, it would be Christ, Christos. It's where we get that word from. So God's purpose is in the story of lost donkeys is to establish his kingdom and his king and his Messiah. And so what are we to take from that? Well, most of our lives in this room hover around the ordinary and the mundane, don't they? Seemingly random events, or our lives are often governed by routine, where occasionally something breaks into them in order to take us off track, and we complain about it, and we want to go back to our routine and back to our patterns. And this passage, though, reminds us that God is sovereignly working out his purposes, especially in the ordinary. If most of our lives is governed by the ordinary, then God especially works through the ordinary. And though this event is unique, you're right. We're in 1 Samuel. God is bringing about his Messiah. He's establishing his kingdom. God still works in that very same way today. His king's already on the throne, Jesus Christ. He's reigning, and yet his kingdom is advancing Acts 17, 24 to 26 remind us that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And from one man, he made all the nations, all the nations, so that they would inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Let me repeat that. He marked out their appointed times in history, all the nations, all human beings on earth. He marked out when they would be born, and he appointed the boundaries of their lands where they would live. 
He marked out when they would be born and where they would live, every single person. Why? Verse 27 of Acts 17 tells us, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And so maybe you're not a Christian and you have found yourself for some reason in a church, at a church service. You're thinking, what on earth am I doing here? How on earth have I gotten here? You're not sure why or how. But the Bible tells us, Scripture tells us, the Lord of heaven and earth tells us that your times and boundaries, where you live and where you were born and when you were born, have been ordained by a sovereign and almighty God in order that you might come to know him, that you might reach out to him, that you might trust in the one that he's provided the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we've been singing about and worshiping this evening. If that's you, please come and see me after this service, or if somebody's brought you along, why not speak to them about this? I'd love to chat to you. But for those of us that are part of this kingdom, for those of us that do worship this king, it's helpful to be reminded how God works. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be far too distracted with lesser and meaningless things. I've got donkeys on the brain uh, um, and I fail to see when the Lord of heaven is bringing circumstances and situations and people into my life in order to bring about his kingdom purposes. Whether it's the new neighbor or the neighbor that's lived there for years or the colleague who has happened to move onto our team or that school friend or that university mate or the buddy at the golf club that you've got a really good relationship with. They're not random happenstances. They're not accidents but orchestrated times and boundaries set by the sovereign Lord in order that perhaps they might reach out. And what they need is revelation. They need someone to uncover their ear, to show them God's word, to open the truth to them about why they are where they are and who they can submit to. And so we just, uh, that doesn't mean that everybody in our workplace, we need to go and uh, we need to feel guilty because we haven't shared with everyone. But the Lord is, lays particular people in our path and on our hearts. And so we just want boldness and courage to share with them the truth of this wonderful Messiah, this great Savior. Okay, back to the narrative. And this is the second heading. We want to know that God is with us to bless us. We're to know that God is with us to bless us. Verse 18, so Saul finally meets Samuel. After all of his traveling and all of these circumstances, he meets Samuel. And uh, uh, as we saw, Saul is still kind of slightly clueless. He's face to face with this seer, uh, and he comedically asks him, oh, have you seen the seer? And verse 19, though, well, what a shock for Saul. Uh, I'd love to have seen his face. Firstly, the guy that he's speaking to is Samuel. Secondly, he invites him for a sacrificial dinner. Thirdly, he tells him that his father's donkeys have been found. But number four is the kicker, I think, verse 20. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turn, if not to you and to your whole family line? Talk about curveball. The desire of Israel? Sorry, uh, what? Me? I, I'm here for the donkeys. I'm Saul. Uh, I'm from Benjamin, you know? You remember the reputation of the tribe of Benjamin? Uh, and our clan, we're unknown. We're just country folk. I'm a farmer. You know, it would be shocking and you would be confused. But the Lord never calls anyone to something without equipping them to do it. And he does so by his presence. 
And here, for Saul as well, he provides a number of signs to confirm that he is with him. And so, chapter 10, verse 1, is a climactic moment. Um, if you were here in the morning service, we, we sang and we heard about the anointing oil being poured upon Aaron, the high priest. It's this fragrant oil that's poured all upon him. And now up until this point in the Bible, though, the only uh, things that were anointed were either priests or priestly ornaments. Uh, so we can read about that in Leviticus 8 or the ornaments in Exodus 40, such as the instruments that were set apart in the tabernacle. And so for this to happen to Saul is remarkable, especially when he was just looking for donkeys. Um, so this symbolic act of this anointing is coupled with a sure word from Almighty God through the prophet Samuel. And as we'll see, uh, verses 2 to 8 record three predictions. And they're not just significant because of the accuracy of the content, which they are, and they do come true, but for what they symbolize as well for Saul. So firstly, verse 2. This is not just about finding donkeys, okay? Geography in the Bible is rarely, if ever, insignificant. And the location here, written in verse 2, is Rachel's tomb. And then the passage that records Rachel's death and the burial in the tomb and the setting up of the worship monument that's there is in Genesis 35. And it's the exact section where Jacob is renamed by God as Israel. And where Yahweh, the covenant God, reaffirms his covenant blessing upon Jacob. And he says this, I will bless you. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. This is important, Saul. <laughs> this is the place where Jacob was blessed. This is the place where Israel's task was given to them. It was a turning point for them, and it's a reminder of God's abiding presence and blessing. Take heed, Saul. Secondly, verses 3 and 4. Now, at first, we might just think this is a, a hyper-specific prophecy. There's a tree and three men and three goats and three loaves of bread and a skin of wine. Um, and I just thought the chaps in verse 3 were really kind to a hungry-looking Saul, and they gave him a couple of loaves of bread. But actually, these men are heading <clears throat> to Bethel, worship central, to offer sacrifices to the one true God. And so their cargo was an offering to the Lord and to his anointed, the priest, and so it's unlikely that they would have given bread away to just anybody. They must have recognized who Saul was, that he too was one of the Lord's anointed. And that's strengthened by the fact that in verse 24 of chapter 9, Saul has already been given the priestly part of the sacrifice. So it mirrors it. They recognize Saul as one of the Lord's anointed. And Yahweh was speaking, the true God was speaking to Saul to encourage him that people would recognize him in his office. So, thirdly, and it's Samuel's third prophetic utterance that is actually expanded upon, uh, and we, the, the author uh, shows us how it was fulfilled. The other two, he just says in verse 9, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Read with me from verse 5. Samuel says this, after that you will go to Gibeah of God where there is a Philistine outpost and you will approach the town and you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and timbrels and pipes and harps being played before them and they will be prophesying the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you and you will prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person now let me just deal with verse 6 a lot of ink has been spilt about verse 6 and the changing of Saul's heart and the fulfillment of that in verse 9 and you might be asking yourself the question, how 
is it that God can change Saul's heart and then he ends up the way that he did? What does that mean then for such precious doctrines to us as the perseverance of the saints, that God will keep those he has called? Or Jesus' words, no one can snatch them out of my hands. And we really haven't got space to go into this here, but come and see me afterwards if you want to chat. But all I'll say is this, this isn't the main point of this particular section. What the author is wanting to show in this third prediction, it seems, is that the Lord is truly with Saul. He was truly anointed by the Lord. He gave him his spirit. He caused people to recognize who he was. And he had orchestrated events and fulfilled his prophetic words so that Saul would know that Yahweh was with him. That's what Samuel says. Know that God is with you. He had equipped him. Now, this week I've been back and forth about how to understand, how to read Saul in this particular section. How do we understand him? don't want to bring too much of what goes on ahead into understanding the character of Saul and on the one hand he he is the Lord's anointed and he seems to be presented well particularly in comparison to some of the people that have gone before him but there's this lingering uncertainty especially with what's ahead there's also a hint in Samuel's prophecy that sheds a bit more light onto Saul's character look with me again at verse 5 When giving Saul the sign that he would uh, meet some prophets, Samuel prefaces it with this. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. Remember, geography is important. So Gibeah is Saul's hometown. Gibeah of God is a city named after God. But ironically, there's a Philistine garrison situated right there. They were so close into Israel's territory. And there was a serious threat to God's people. And you'll also remember the word of God that came to Samuel um, in chapter 9, verse 16. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, this is the one who will rescue them from the hand of the Philistines. And so the question is, was the purpose of Saul's equipping with the Spirit not just to prophesy, but to defeat that Philistine outpost, to rescue Israel? You see, in the book of Judges, to which one Samuel is a kind of Uh, the part of the historical context the spirit that rushes upon the lord's chosen people typically the judges they move out in power to defeat israel's enemies and so the question is did saul shrink back and with the rest of the information that we know about saul's character it wouldn't be too harsh i don't think to draw these dots together and when we look at saul we can't help but contrast him with the king that's just around the corner king david who didn't face a Philistine outpost, but actually took on the champion, the one that had been a warrior since his youth, the one who, when endowed with the Spirit, went out to battle, the one who didn't uh, ignore God's word, the one who loved God's word. And naturally, both of these kings pale in comparison to God's rescuing king who would walk the shores of Galilee a thousand years later, entering the scene again from an obscure town of Nazareth, He would be recognized by the Lord's anointed and be offered sacrifices of worship. The scriptures make clear that once this one was anointed with the Spirit, he went out to do battle in the wilderness, not against a Philistine outpost, not against a champion, but against humanity's mortal enemy, Satan. He never shrank back, not even to the point of the cost of his own life. This one knew the Lord's presence with him wherever he went. And if you're a Christian today, this 
is our king. This is our Messiah, our anointed, and our hearts can rejoice in him because he is the fulfillment of all of the promises from Genesis 35. He's the one to which, as we've sung about already tonight, all the nations will bow down. What does that mean for us as the church? Well, firstly, he's our king. We can worship him. We can trust his rule. But actually, the scriptures call us, the church, his anointed. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have been anointed with God's spirit. He dwells within you. Christ, the reigning king who has obtained for us all of the blessings of God, adoption to sonship, which means we can call God our Father. Sanctification, which means we're holy and set apart. Justification, which means that we are declared innocent in God's sight. All of these things that our King won for us are, are ours because the Spirit living in us. And that should give us reason to rejoice this evening. This should be the motivation that takes us into this week to know that our God is for us. Who can be against us? The overall tenor of the New Testament is that God is with his people. And our hearts are meant to lean into those promises. Hebrews 13.5 reminds us, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And more than that, the coming of the Spirit means that we've been equipped for all that God has called us to do. He's given us his Spirit, his Word, and the church. And say, so, brother or sister, I don't know what you need to hear this morning, but perhaps that sin this evening, that sin that so easily entangles you, that seems so powerful, when seen in the light of the sovereign reigning king and all that he's given us by his spirit and all he has promised to do in and through us, the sin is powerless and shouldn't seem so powerful. The patterns of sinful thinking and the lies that we believe, uh, to, uh, that we believe to be true, when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, He leads us on the right path. And so, here's a truth that we need to take away this evening, folks: God is sovereignly advancing His kingdom through the mundane and ordinary events, and His King Jesus is working His extraordinary power through the church to achieve this. God is sovereignly advancing His kingdom. Through mundane and ordinary events, his King Jesus is working his extraordinary power through us, the church, to achieve this. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And remember Emily from my introduction and her seemingly random circumstances? Well, actually, in this um, kind of office job, she happened to meet a Christian who fumbled the gospel out to her. Uh, and it was in that moment that she came to know Jesus Christ as King and Savior and Lord, and her life was transformed and turned upside down. And actually, as Emily reflected backwards on her life, um, she could see something that she hadn't seen before. She recalled that each place that she'd worked in or studied for any length of time, as she said it, she said, I always had my Christian. There was always my Christian. And once again, it happened this time. And she said, I think God might be trying to tell me something. And so from Emily's perspective, ordinary happenstance events. But from God's perspective, he was advancing his kingdom one soul at a time. Let's pray that he might use us in the places that he has put us in such a way. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that you are uh, the reigning sovereign and that your King, our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is on the throne. And that through his perfect life and obedience, he has obtained for his people every spiritual blessing that we could ever need. And Lord, that he reigns in power and that you, Lord, choose to use such weak vessels as us in order to bring about your purposes. Thank you so much that you would bring us into your family and that you would use us in this great plan of salvation. Lord, may we never shrink back from what you're calling us to do, but trust that you've equipped us to do all that we need to do. And may we do it to the praise and the honor of King Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. We're going to close with um, our final hymn, He Alone Can Rescue. Stand and sing as the musicians lead us.
seat. Um, if you want to chat to me about anything you've heard in the sermon, I'll be just by the door saying goodbye. Um, but let me close with uh, these words from the end of Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen.